Yeah, I think what I'm hoping is that we see a return to greatness and 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 know in other words knowing what greatness really is like when you're watching jacob Degrom, you know that's greatness um but there's a lot of times you know, you're watching a guy and he just seemed to sort of come out of nowhere or for you know for one inning here he looks amazing and then he goes i i want to i want to know i want to be able to sort of savor great pitching a little more and so therefore i think it needs to be a little more rare Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by New York Times baseball columnist and author of K, The History of Baseball in 10 Pitches, Tyler Kepner. I thought if we're going to talk about inspections and pitches and spin rates and all the things that people do to goop up pitches to get an edge, who better to go to than the guy who literally wrote the book on pitches, right, Tyler? <laughs> yes, I, I did. Yep. Um, I, I've never, uh, I've never wet one up or, or gooped anything with spider tack, but uh, yeah, it was certainly. Uh, it's not too surprising that that uh, this became a, a big deal because pitchers have been trying to do whatever they could to get a little edge, uh, you know, since the since the beginning of pitching. And you were there at City Field in Queens for the very first inspection. What, what was that like, that historic moment where they took <laughs> the best pitcher in the game aside to uh, to look at his gear? Yeah, it was just funny that it happened to be, um, you know, Jacob deGrom pitching, so the best pitcher in the league, um, was the first to be uh, to be inspected this way. Um you know, Degrom. Degrom's never going to do it much controversial or, or or raise any 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 alarms. He he just handed over his. Uh, he said, "What do you want?" And they said, "Your glove, your hat, and your belt." And he gave him the glove and the hat and let him look at the belt and went on his way. Um, did it again later in the game. The fans booed, um, even though it's 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 now routine. Um, you know, they booed because he's their guy and and don't don't question our guy. Um, but it went off pretty smoothly that day. Um, but Max Scherzer wasn't on the mound that day. Yeah, what do you make of that? Um, you know, the the background there is Max Scherzer was searched as the starter, as starters will be searched multiple times, but then was subject to a complaint from the dugout. Um, Joe Girardi saw him going through his hair quite a bit um, and made a formal complaint, something that used to be, you know, two weeks ago taboo. <laughs> And, and for years it had been taboo. I mean, we watched it in World Series where teams wouldn't do that. And here was a manager asking for a search, and Scherzer took it personally, which you could, I could imagine why. Right, yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, credit to Girardi if he really saw something that he objected to and went ahead and, um, you know, and, and raised a concern because that is something that, that that the lack of that is the reason why we got into all this because of the gentleman's agreement, yeah. um, unspoken that you don't check the other pitcher because you don't want them to check your guy. Um, and now they're not supposed to do that anymore. Now they're supposed to take this seriously. Um, so you know, you have to take Girardi at his word that that he that he saw Max doing something that that he doesn't usually do. Um, you know, and, and if that's true, then he he was obligated to ask. So uh, I don't blame Girardi if that's true, but you know, if if it was just gamesmanship, um, you know, that's that's a not, that's something else. 
and you don't like to see that. Um, I mean, that's where it gets into a little gray area. I mean, he had been checked a couple of times already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what they expected to find on his hair, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't think that's out of bounds. Um, you know, pitchers, I mean, there's a lot of flaws, I think, in, in how this whole thing is, is, is being rolled out. Well, at least one big flaw and that they didn't give them something they could, an alternative, an approved alternative. Right. I, um, you know, pitchers generally created this by, by just, uh, continuing to look for ways to, to, you know, push that line and, 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 uh, get that spin rate up. And, um, you know, this is, this is where the game is now. There is a rule against managers using it for gamesmanship. Like if the umpires think that that was done to delay a pitcher, throw a pitcher off for personal reasons, just to be persnickety, any of those things, you know, uh, Schilt told us that, that that would be frowned upon and the manager would face repercussions, but that didn't happen with Girardi. Is that because they felt he had cause? Is that kind of the next gray area of this? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you do, you know, you institute a, a change and then there's always some unintended consequence or things you didn't see and, and foresee. And yeah, maybe this will be one of them is, is, is how, you know, what justifies just cause for a manager to, to ask, um, you know, that's really, really hard to uh, determine or, or, or to, if a manager asks for a search, the umpire, then the umpire says, no, then how does the umpire know what the manager's seeing? It's, yeah, it's a whole Pandora's box. And I don't know, um, just honestly, I don't know how they, how they, deal with all that right like you know how do they judge whether a manager can order i i, I don't know if order is the right word I, I guess he has that power i guess it's more of a request yeah right yeah it's, it's a strange new world yeah it, uh, forgive the pun but to me and i'd like to get your thoughts on this 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 is the most substantive change to perhaps actually impact the pace of play that the major league baseball has made and not in a bad way in the sense of slowing the game down for all this, uh, you know, the checks and everything like that. But I think like the three batter minimum and some of these other things that they've done under the guise of improving the pace of play that haven't worked, that haven't shortened games, um, that haven't increased the amount of action in the game. I think this is the one that is the most significant or could have the most significant in in getting the, the game back into something that is more familiar as far as more balls in play, more action, more more. Th- offense going on do you, do you have that same sense or are you skeptical uh no i i, I agree um i think uh i think the, the game when you see things that have never happened before mm-hmm. like you know more strikeouts than hits um which was never a thing until 2018 and then now it's like Common. just a, a guarantee that it's going to happen. It, it, it's, it's their own pace for 5,000 more strikeouts than hits. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Then it's like, then it's a, uh, it, it is a crisis. And, and I think that, you know, one thing that Manfred said when I talked to him yesterday, that really stood out was that um, they're, they've talked about, and they're trying to do a lot of rule changes um, in the minor leagues. And, and they've, they've brainstormed about a lot of rule changes. Like, well, what if we just enforce the rule that we already have mm-hmm. um, so and see what difference that makes? And when you put it that way, it does make some sense, right? Like, let's just enforce this rule against sticky stuff 
um, and for, really for the first time proactively enforce it. Right. And see if that makes a big change. And I think it could. I mean, I, I, I really think it could. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's it's fair to, to say that sticky stuff is the only reason that, that pitchers are so dominant now. I mean, there's a lot to be said for pitch design and the specific ways that um, technology can, can show you exactly what pitch you should be throwing and exactly where a, a hitter might be vulnerable. Um, that won't go away. But I think that the nastiness of of the pitches might uh, you know might let up a little bit, uh, or and will let up a little bit. Um, so yeah, no, I think it, I think it will make a, a big impact simply by enforcing a rule that they always look the other way on. When you look back, how did baseball get to this point? I mean, was it? I mean, the, the is the is the initial sin the gentleman's agreement? Like even going back to the '06 World Series. Uh, yeah, I think probably. Um, I mean, we all remember in the 06 World Series, you know, you could see uh, the stuff on, on on Kenny Rogers' hand. And, and even even Tony said after the game, you know, didn't look like Dirk to him. Yeah. Um, but they just, you know, in, in that instance, they just had him had him take it off and after the first inning. And, and that was that, I guess. Um, you know, there was no ejection. Uh, I suppose there could have been um, if they'd really – you know, taken, taken the letter of the law. Um, but you know, it was just sort of like, Hey, you know, Hey, you get, you know, knock that off. And, and that was it. And that's kind of yeah. the way it's been, um, you know, going back to Whitey Ford and, and, and long before that, it was just, uh, you know, something, if the pitcher can, if the pitcher can do something in full view of everybody and get away with it, then, um, you know, Hey, more power to him, and, and we'll just have to do it better. Um, but then why have a rule to begin with? So, um, I, I think, again, I think the only thing is, is, is they, they, they could have, they should have made sure they had an alternative before they did this just to be realistic for pitchers. Um, but you know, here we are. And I think pitchers are going to, you know what? I mean, pitchers are, are complaining, but at the same time, I mean, like, it's not like in these last three days, we've seen like a product that we're not used to seeing, uh, you know, baseball is continuing and pitchers are, are, are going to adjust. And, yeah. and um, you know, I, I don't love the way it was rolled out, but I guess they had to do something, right? Isn't it incredible, like just a little side point to baseball, how willing they are to kind of build the airplane on the go? You know, I mean, people are like, don't they need to have these rules in place? I know Glass and I was saying, don't do this to us in June. And they act as if like it's the first time that that's ever happened. I remember going to spring training, and at, by the and it was and the playoff structure was one way at the start of spring training, and it was another way at the end of spring training. Right, um, right. You know, many many years ago, the wild card round did not exist at the start of spring training. The wild card, just as we we've come to accept it as a given, mm-hmm. you know, that came into play there late in March. You know, the fact that I mean, baseball just has always kind of made it up on the go and you know, they're, 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 some of it is being fearful of precedent that is then used against them in negotiations or then becomes an issue when unforeseen circumstances, but you know, they, they also do it, you know, kind of along the way in case that, you know, like you said, I, I, I think that speaks to how deep they've thought the crisis got to use your word. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, they were probably naive, but um, mm-hmm. I think they, well, what Manfred was saying is that they really expected or hoped that the warning they told they gave everybody 
you know, the fact that they were collecting all these baseballs, they told everybody they'd be collecting these baseballs. They yeah. told everybody that they were, you know, examining this, study, studying this issue really for the first time. Um, and they expected people to either knock it off or find a way to adjust. And instead, you know, players just went out doing things the way they always had. And then when they said in, in early June, okay, now we mean it. Um, June 21st, we're going to start doing this. Um, then uh, it was sort of like, well, well, you didn't give us time to adjust. And I think it's a, you know, Rob talked a, a lot about the communication and how he thought it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess maybe players didn't get the intended message, which was that um, we will be doing this. So you better change. You better be ready because a big change is a coming to your world. How should we look at, pitchers in the coming weeks, like as far as evaluating some of them, if, you know, their spin rate and along with their success dips, is this going to be something that we have to wrestle with for awards time or, you know, should fans wrestle with what, you know, the authenticity of what they saw just as we had to do back in the late nineties. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be tricky because we never really know the cause and effect of any, of anything, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if someone, if you look at someone who had a peak in their career, you know, right before the testing, the steroid testing, then it's, it's natural to assume that, oh, well, you know, like once they started testing, you know, he, he's, his power went away and he was a creation of this, but you know, you don't know that. Like, I mean, it could be, but it, it also could be any number of factors. So same thing with pitching. I mean, it's, it's going to lead to a lot of suspicions about who was doing what um, and how effective it was for for everybody. Um, but as you know, there are uh, many, many causes of, mm-hmm. of pitchers' slumps or a pitcher's declining performance, you know, whether it's injury or, or, or just the lack of a feel for a certain pitch or, or adjusting to, you know, whatever. I mean, so, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of suspicions for sure. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you about this is, you know, first of all, you got the excellent book, K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. And I was thinking about it because of all the ways, you know, pitchers have to go about their side of the game, you know, initiating the game. Right. It's it's one of the few games, um, you know, where the defense initiates play. And that puts a lot of control in the defense's hands. No pun. No Go ahead. I'll pun intended. <laughs> but, you know, the, and, and the links that they go to to create different pitches in order to do this deception and overpowering and all that stuff. And in talking with uh, Cardinals pitching coach Mike Maddox, you know, one of the things he said is so many of the changes of the game are always to introduce offense. He said, you know, the, the lower the mound, they introduce the DH, you know, um, the DH to the NL is coming. All these things are done to initiate more offense. And he, and he said, this is no different. This is still, they're trying to bring more offense into the game. And I was like, that's remarkable given that they have to do all these things. What does that say about the game in general that time tilts towards pitching always? Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, Joe Madden has said many times that uh, you really could just call the sport pitching because it, it's pitcher pitchers who dictate, um, everything that follows. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think pitchers always have the edge. I mean, think about the, the structure of the game. Mm-hmm. That there's three, you know, there's three strikes. Like you could, you could completely overpower a batter 
um, or deceive him twice in a row, but he gets three chances um, to to get a hit off you. Yeah. And nobody hits 500, um, you know, which means that the pitcher always has, you know, always gets the better of you um, on over, over time. I mean, always wins most of those encounters. Yeah. I, mean, I guess a few guys have had a 500 on base percentage, but not really. So, yeah, I mean, so it's uh, it's always naturally skewed toward the pitchers um, because they have so many different ways of of getting you out. And I think, um, you know, the, the, the sticky stuff and, and the, the, the substances, uh, spin rates, is just just a, sort of a more scientific ex- example of it. And, and uh, you know, because pitchers, once they know how their ball moves, once they, mm-hmm. <laughs> once they really know what the spin is doing, they have such an edge um, in knowledge and, and in, you know, in, in what the right pitch is to throw. So, you know, once pitchers can understand how to shape those pitches and, and, and when they have the scientific data to say, hey, if you shape a pitch this way, that's going to be really effective. Work on that. You know, drill down on that mm-hmm. rather than something else that you might have thought was better. Um, they have a clearer pathway to success. Did you did you gain an appreciation in kind of looking into the stories behind? Well, anytime you look into the stories behind pitches, you're going to find the stories of how those pitches were created and perfected and then spread. Um, you know, the cutter is a great example of that. You know, it, it was created, you know, and it kind of spread through word of mouth and different guys tried it. And then, of course, you have the great practitioner of it, Mariano Rivera. And now every pitcher ever since has tried it. Right. Um, did you get a sense of the motivation to find the next great pitch and how that would drive pitchers to maybe fudge the rules a little bit? Well, sure. I mean, I think that's that's really was the under <coughs> the common element throughout my reporting for the book, um, which was the the continuing uh, str- not struggle, but um, the way everybody's just striving for excellence. I mean, that's really what it is. It's just, it's just this pursuit by the good ones. Um, this pursuit of finding something that works, finding a way to compete and to and to continually evolve. I mean, I remember talking to Max Scherzer after he signed his big contract with the Nationals. He'd already won a Cy Young. He had certainly arrived, but he was really excited about this cutter that he had developed over the offseason. Because mm-hmm. he's smart enough to know that, yes, he's gotten the big money and he's a star and all that, but like, there's always kids coming to, to not necessarily take his job, but to to try to be better and to try to surpass him. So to to stay ahead, um, you've got to innovate, and um, and that requires a lot of experimentation and a lot of curiosity, and. Uh, and yeah, so that 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 can you know naturally lead some people down some uh, dark corners. But but I, I think you know when it was so when it has been so established uh, and, and so um, accepted to uh, you know get a grip, um, <laughs> it was only natural the pitchers would do that. Look, they're fidgety people. They're you know if you watch go to a game, you can't really see on TV, but if you just lock in on a pitcher during a game, they're very fidgety. They're 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 Tugging on this, they're pulling on that. Um, there's a lot of ways to easily conceal um, stuff on your yeah. person. 
Um, and, uh, you know, pitchers uh, are, are great at sharing their secrets with each other. Is When you watch then like DeGrom pitch, right, where, mm-hmm. where do his pitches fit in the spectrum of great pitches you've seen? Yeah, you know, he's certainly one who, um, you know, he was he was very good while I was writing it, but he, he's really, um, you know, exploded the last three years or so since uh, since I had finished the reporting on on it. Um, yeah. I mean, his you know his 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 fastball is ridiculous. You know, there's no starter right now who throws as hard as he does because consistently. I wonder if he should back off sometimes and try to add and subtract. Um, you know, maybe you can go deeper in games um, or avoid these injury little things that, that crop up. Um, but, you know, what do I know? I mean, he's the best pitcher on the planet, so he's must be doing something right, um, right? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I, you know, when you talk about a Verlander years ago, you know, used to talk about adding and subtracting and saving the 98 from when he really needed it. Um, but DeGrom's fastball is ridiculous. And, and then the, the, the slider, um, I mean, yeah, he's got a great changeup. He, he has a great curveball if he wants to. He doesn't need it. Um, but that, you know, the, the fastball slider is, is just ridiculous. And, and the way he, he never seems Derek to miss a spot. And yeah. when you have an elite, when you have elite stuff, when you have just good stuff and you don't miss a spot, you're almost always going to get the hitter out. And if you have elite stuff, like extra good stuff and you don't miss a spot, um, you're going to flirt with a no hitter perfect game every time. And that's the kind of run DeGrom is on. Now the, the issue, as I, as I wrote the other day, the issue is, is length of, of game that he pitches. And so it's not, it's not exactly analogous to, to Gibson in 68 or, or Hershiser in 88 or or Fernando in 81. Because if you look at the runs that those guys went on, my man, Steve Carlton in 72, this was like nine innings, nine innings, nine innings, eight innings, nine innings. I mean, Fernando started out with, I think eight starts, his first eight starts, he threw 72 innings. That's eight times nine. I mean, I think one of those games he went nine and it was a 10 inning game or something, but like he threw nine innings every time, Yeah. you know, like Bob Gibson threw, what was it? Like of a possible X number of innings, he threw all but 10 or something that year. Yeah, it was some absurd number. Yeah. crazy. So, you know, so baseball's changed a lot in this max effort era. Um, but, you know, DeGrom's doing it better than anybody. I'd hope that he, he builds a little more volume as the year goes on. Um, because I think the, the real, secret not secret the real thing you look for in a Cy Young winner and an ace is both dominance and durability and so far he hasn't really gone very deep in, in too many games but I think as he as he maybe backs off the hitting a little bit and um you know learns exactly what is causing these little aches and pains um he'll be able to do that again yeah that, well and maybe somewhat becomes more efficient too I mean that's kind of part of it right like he's pretty efficient though like he's he is pretty efficient. Like they're they're pulling him after five innings and in like seventy pitches or something. Yeah, you know? he's not. It's not that he's inefficient. It's just he's smart enough to not be a hero and not like you know if if he feels something that he knows is you know could lead to something worse, he's not going to like like just power through it just to be macho or whatever. Like um, he's honest about that, which I think is good in the long run. Um, but he has been surprisingly efficient because he didn't walk anybody. Like he he his walks are so low that he's not going to have those at bats where he's just walking guys and he's striking guys out like on three four pitches. So it's 
they're not even fouling balls off. Like they're not even like running up this pitch count because they're close to hitting it. Like they're just not close. They're just not meant. In 1968, Bob Gibson had 28 complete games that season. The uh, this past weekend in Atlanta, Adam Wainwright threw his 26th complete game of his career, <laughs> and he's the active leader, tied with Justin Verlander. So I mean, wow. that kind of speaks to how the game has changed. And I do wonder if this year coming off of the short and last year, if this is the correction that we're seeing and it's not a real pleasant one in this sense is that pitchers injuries are up lots and lots of injuries. Teams are without three of their planned starters. The Cardinals are without multiple starters. The Cubs have gone through different injuries. You mentioned DeGrom. I mean, look, Scherzer just came back from the injured list. Um, you know, you just look around the, the game at the number of pitchers that are on the injured list and some of them are some of the best pitchers and they're being replaced by pitchers who um, either were not signed or were depth guys or you know they're just being replaced by you know not the same caliber of pitchers and I wonder if that at some point in time is going to allow the offense to breathe this year or if that's an alarming trend that baseball also needs to pay attention to is just pitcher injuries yeah i think what i'm hoping is that we see a return to greatness and 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 know in other words knowing what greatness really is mm. like when you're watching jacob de you know that's greatness um but there's a lot of times you know, you're watching a guy and he just seemed to sort of come out of nowhere or for you know for one inning here he looks amazing and then he goes the you know they go to the bullpen again and there's another guy they'll go to and he looks amazing and then he's out you know like like I I want to I want to know I want to be able to sort of savor great pitching a little more um, and and so therefore I think it needs to be a little more rare um, and I think one of the things that that we found whether it was you know sticky stuff or whatever um, again there's a lot of reasons pitchers are great right now um, is that there's just so many there's just a high volume of really good pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like an assembly line. So, you know, you can, you know, one goes down and you can call one up. I mean, it's easy to say for some teams, the Orioles and the, you know, the Phillies and the, <laughs> some of the teams that can't pitch so well, um, you know, hard, hard, hard time finding all those good pitchers. But generally, like, you know, it, it, it seems there's just a huge inventory. So in Gibson's day, um, even in Hershiser's day, you know, the, the difference, difference between the starting pitcher and most of the relievers was, was, vast yeah. and now i think um you know a lot of the times the relievers are the reliever you're bringing in is is going to be really good um only for an inning but really good so i don't know i, I just think it's 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 yeah it's the way pitching has evolved but mm-hmm. sports is better if we if if greatness is sort of doled out in in a little more uh if greatness is a little rarer you know like i, I just i don't know i, I think we need to see we need to know what, what true greatness is rather than just seeing it all the time over and over again, every every couple of arms out of the bullpen. Yeah, it's so interesting that you bring that up because, man, this goes back maybe 10, 11 years. Matt Holliday said one of the biggest changes in the game that he saw for hitters was the fact that the journeyman middle reliever was being phased out of the game. The former starter who had been around the game, who had maybe even done some good things as a starter, but was either finishing out a contract or was on a one-year contract or was trying to bounce back and would handle those middle 
middle innings or long relief mm-hmm. and wear it, you know, and would come in there and just kind of wear it. And the, and the hitter would go like, well, there's my chance to get a hit today or there's my chance to get a double. And he said, now that guy's been replaced with somebody who makes the minimum because, of course, that's what's happening. You know, just the reallocation of funds, right, to to the higher price guys, squeezing out the middle class player and then having teams rely on, you know, the, the minimum salary guys who are younger, but they throw harder and they throw more wild and they don't have that same seasoning of how to get through an inning, but they make it far more difficult so they're they're just as apt to strike you out or you know have you hit a fly ball or walk you than they are to just kind of try to get through those innings and shoulder them for the team and i thought that was such a fascinating point that he made and then it just erupted on the game you know mm-hmm. now it's not just that they throw hard it's that they throw hard with movement and now it's not just that they're young but in some cases they they are way beyond their years because their talent has such a margin for error. You know, it's not mm-hmm. that they have to th- throw strikes with it because they can just overpower hitters. They can fall behind in counts because they can come back and overpower hitters. Um, that come that makes me think that maybe there's a counterintuitive correction to this, Tyler. Will you, will you permit me a, a, a question on maybe an outside-the-box correction to pitching? Expansion. Yeah, well. Would expansion do it? It could, um, you know. I, I think we every time we see expansion, we we seem to see increased offense. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's generally the rule. Um, you know, and I've wondered, like, you know, when they're going to just expand already because, you know, they're going to want one driver of expansion is is the short term, uh, you know, financial, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the money that the teams get for the expansion fees, and and that's always that's always a driver of it. And, you know, they'll want that after a couple of years where ticket sales are down or, or, or non-existent. So, um, but yeah, I, no, I, that, that, that could be to, to in, put an influx of the game of, of those kind of guys. I mean, you're, you're right. You, you know, you don't see a lot of guys who can just absorb the innings and, 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 and pitch in that role. I mean, I think you got that. Didn't the Cardinals just get Wade LeBlanc? Yeah. Um, yeah. He's sort of in, in, in that mold. I mean, a guy who's, yeah. Obviously, not going to overpower you. A guy who's been around um, for a while, he's made a little money, um, you know. But but he's basically is who he is at this point. Um, so maybe he's a, he's that kind of guy. I don't know. Um, yeah. But you know, yeah. There's not a lot of guys like that anymore who who don't who don't throw hard and who've just been around a long time and, and can you know take one for the team. Yeah, yeah, and. It's so hard for me to also measure pitching because, like you said, you, you want to know what greatness is. I sure seem to see a lot of great pitching performances against the Cardinals this year as they struggle offensively while also at the same time leading the league and giving up walks. Um, they're, they're a real team that is existing at the opposite outliers of what you want. Um, I think, you know, if they could flip those coins, they'd be a much better team, of course. Uh, you know, they, the, they have the lowest batting average in the National League. And they also give up the f- most free passes in the National League. So, I, they, I was, uh, I did the numbers, and they're essentially a quality start waiting to happen um, mm-hmm. for any opposing pitcher. And now it's even gotten worse because now they're scoring two or fewer runs in this long stretch of games. Um, just completely, they've gone. Um, they just had a complete collapse in June, and yet they're not all that far out of the division. What? What's the 
what's the perception from afar of this National League Central? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the Cardinals, um, they don't see, you know, I, I see them here and there, but obviously not every day like you. They don't seem to be a team that would be very fun to watch in the sense that their pitchers, you know, issue a lot of walks and their batters are hitting 226 at, with the worst on base percentage in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, under 300. So, uh, you know, that means that the other side is getting a lot of walks and that's kind of boring. And your side is not getting a lot of hits and, and that's kind of um, boring as well. And, and, you know, your hitters aren't getting on base and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, and yet here they are, they're, they're, you know, they're right in the middle of it, you know, a couple of games under 500 and in, in a, in a division that seems winnable. Um I mean, you know, I, I don't know who exactly you'd say is the favorite. The Cubs get hot and then they cool off. You know, the Brewers, um, I would think, would, would, would be would be the favorite, maybe. Um, but, I mean, you know, we talk about the Cardinals hitting 226, Brewers hitting 212. So, you know, I, I think, you know, Yelich is, is due to heat up. And, and he's, you know, I, you love their pitchers, the Brewers, mm-hmm. um, at least a couple of them. Um, you know, Burns has slowed down a little bit. Um, but certainly Peralta and Burns and, and Woodruff are, are, are pretty imposing, and then some of the guys in the bullpen. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely in a division. Maybe maybe a, a big move by someone will will uh, make the difference there. The Reds have some big hitters, and 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 their pitching actually hasn't been that bad. Uh, you know, if they get Castillo that consistent, um, you know, they're looking a lot better. Um, but Sonny Gray's out, so. I, yeah, it's it's a weird division. It's it's not the most ex- ex- exciting division, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the Cardinals. It's it, it's it's been weird. I mean, I I you know to to see guys like uh, you know they're they're big hitters. I mean, the guys you want a, a team to go out and, and, and be aggressive and get. Um, you know, guys like uh, obviously Goldschmidt and Arenado. Um, you know, they're not they're not performing to their uh, career career norms i would i would say that's fair right yeah no they're they're not i mean goldschmidt has warmed up in june and arenado has really struggled over the last four weeks or so um really since he had this i mean he had a home run in uh you know in, during this past recent series but overall you know they just haven't clicked together i talked to him in atlanta and uh, he and Goldschmidt had hit home runs in the first half of a doubleheader and, and between games I talked with Arnado and he said, it just feels like that's the first time we've done anything together mm-hmm. and it's game, you know, it's almost the midpoint of the season. And he said, it just hasn't quite a, they haven't caught fire at the same time. And, you know, they've been rocked by injury, you know, uh, Flaherty is out. Michaelis is out. Jordan Hicks is out. Gung Young Kim has been in and out. Um, but overall, just, just a, a, a a real issue with um, inefficient pitching. Adam Wainwright, who mentioned earlier, had that complete game in the first half of the doubleheader against Atlanta. He's got their only two wins for a starter in the month, in the entire mm-hmm. month. I mean, like that's not a stat for a contender. That's not a right. stat for any sort of consistency whatsoever, even in this upside down world of pitching. If you only have one starter who is able to, leave a game with a lead that your team then holds and oh by the way he's got to pitch five innings to do it and that's it and Mm. he's the only guy to do it in the entire month that's how you lose series that's how one series is lost because you're scrambling for pitching in the previous one and that's where the cardinals are it's it's very fascinating i wanted to ask you like 
you know, the Yankees are, they're viewed as a disappointment, right? Uh, yeah, in, in general, I mean, because they're not running away with anything. Um, yeah, they, that's what I guess I was going to ask. Yeah, they, they uh, calm things down a little bit, um, you know, recently. Um, but yeah, they, they had three weekends in a row where they, where they lost every game and they got swept in Detroit and they got swept at home to Boston and they got swept in, in two in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, they've had a hard time with the Royals the first couple of games. Uh, they won one, but you know, it's been some late inning drama. I mean, they're, they're five over 500. You'd expect better than that. Um, for sure. Um, so they've still got some, you know, a ways to go, but it's, uh, it's not as, as dire as it had been, um, you know, a week or so ago. When it was, where was the focus of the fan ire? What, where was it targeted? Was it, where was the most criticism being leveled? Well, I think it looks somewhat at, at the, the composition of the team, you mm-hmm. know, being so right-handed, um, you know, and taking some some gambles on, on the pitchers that haven't really worked out yet. I mean, you know, Kluber looked great until he got hurt. And, and if you're hurt, if you're not hurt, if you're not pitching, you're not you providing. know, it's, it's yeah, you're not providing. So, you know, Tyone, everybody loves him, but he hasn't been very good so far. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, Cole has, has had the the sticky stuff issue around him, but he's been he's continued to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're just they're, they're, they're really not besides Cole um, and, and, and Chapman and a couple of relievers. You know, they, they, they haven't been awesome on the mound and they just they have that all or nothing kind of offense. Um you know, and they get, but it's the it's the old thing though with with a team that, that does a lot of slugging. When 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 you don't when you don't hit home runs, then you look like you're, you know, kind of a uninspired sort of yeah, um, you know, old station to station sort of team. And 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 when the power does come back, it's 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 really exciting, and you know, you're intimidating and all that. So I don't know. They're they're kind of a, a, a tough team to love unless they're unless they're clicking. Because uh, when they're not clicking, it just sort of seems like they're um, you know, it's a, it's a slowed down version of baseball, but DJ Mayhew's starting to starting to feel it again. Um, you know, he'll be fine. Um, you know, there are some players who really frustrate the fans, Gary Sanchez. But when you look up, Gary Sanchez is actually hitting pretty well. Um, yeah. You know, on the on the most for the most part, and and if he's hitting as well as he is, you, you live with a defense. So um, they are too right handed. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but they're you know, their righties uh, are, are pretty good hitters, too. So they're kind of in a box that way. Do the, Does the heat reach the manager first or the front office when there are questions like this? Or um, the thing that is in vogue in St. Louis and has been for a while, and, you know, it's partially because the statistics and performances support it, is the coaches get a lot of the heat. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, it seems like it's fairly equal. Um, Hmm. I mean, Cashman's been there a long time. I think people, um, you know, understand that, that, that he's done a a good job on measure and he's probably not going anywhere. Um, nor should he, uh, Aaron Boone gets some heat, but I mean, is that really fair? I mean, it's his three years. He's, he's won a hundred games twice. and, And then, uh, you know, last year they got into the playoffs, and, and this year it hasn't been as great, but you know, they're still winning, and it's still, you know, they're not even halfway, not even the halfway point yet. 
So I think it, it's it's tough to really crush a guy with a 600 winning percentage as your as your manager. Yeah. Um, so you know, th- there's not sort of like those maybe obvious uh, targets, and and you hope that you know as as Zach Britton, you know, comes comes back. He's pitched four games, and, and as as Luke Voigt um, starts the field again, he got the game winning hit um, against the Royals, and and you know he's been often on the DL, but now he's back. So you know, as they start to get whole, um, like it is with so many teams, um, maybe they'll start feeling feeling a little better about about themselves. That, that's that's fascinating. You know what you mentioned that uh, Cashman has been there a long time. You know one of one of John Mozeliak, president of baseball operation for the Cardinals, one of the, the front office guys that he gets along with the best is Cashman. Um, they talk a lot, um, uh, or at least they did. I would imagine they still do, but they've, they've often got along. Um, they often go to each other, um, talk through things. And I wonder, you know, he also has been with the Cardinals. As he liked to remind me the other day when I was talking about uh, how expectations in St. Louis, if you're, if you're 500, that's not acceptable. Like that, I'm a little bit like, or a lot like the Yankees, right? Like you might as well be losing if you're 500, you, you contend and that's what the expectations are and you lead and that's what the expectations are. And he goes, I've been here for 26 years. You don't need to remind me of that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, fair point. What's the, what's the perception of, of him from the, from a distance, from afar, from, of the Cardinals direction in front office? What's the perception of, of Mosellac? Yeah, and, and sort of how the Cardinals are run. I mean, you know, they've had a run now, 13 consecutive winning records. Is that what people kind of focus on and and the team that he's built? Or or is there the perception that the, the Cardinals are uh, setting sun? No, no. I mean, I think, I think the Cardinals have, have um, I mean, my perception is they have so much respect nationally because you see so many other teams in, in – uh, flyover country um you know the, the midwest to who uh you know who's who struggle to to maintain a successful team from year to year um you know, the pirates have their little run and the royals have their little run and the tigers have uh, maybe a little bit longer run um but they you know they go up and down you know cleveland seems to seems to be pretty good usually but they're you know they're always losing their stars and 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 and, and they they go through some dips as well um and yet the Cardinals are always in the mix. I mean, they're always in the mix. So I think that's there's a lot of respect for um, obviously the, the baseball tradition down there and, and the support they get, but also just the way they um, you know they always seem to to be competitive and go for it in the sense that you know they like we said, hey Goldschmidt and, and Arenado are not have not been playing great, but you know. Uh, everybody loved those deals and everybody mm-hmm. loves the fact that the Cardinals go out and, and try to get the best. Um, they're not going to be able to sign a Garrett Cole on free agency. Okay. But like, you know, for the most part, they, they go out and they, they make the moves that you would want a big ish market to make. Um, and so I, I think uh, there's a lot of respect there. The one thing I, I wonder about about the Cardinals is, is you see, we seem to see a lot of players around the league, um, who are doing really well, who mm-hmm. came from the Cardinals, who didn't do much for the Cardinals, whether that's a Rosarina or Adoles Garcia or uh, Luke Voigt um, or uh, Sandy Alcantara uh, or Zach Gallen. Um, I mean, it just seems like there's, and I know, you know, each trade you go through individually and, and you understand it maybe at the time, but there, there it seems like there's a lot of uh, products of the Cardinal farm system who have gotten away 
And that's not something you usually see. You're used to seeing from the Cardinals. Um, you know, they, they seem, they have always seemed to self-evaluate pretty well. And I wonder, um, I, you know, I, again, I, I don't know enough to, to, to write this yet, you know, I'm just sort of speaking out loud, but it seems mm-hmm. like maybe some of the self-evaluation is, is lacking. If, if so many players, they give, they get rid of, um, become big successes outside of St. Louis. Absolutely. Or how they, maybe if the evaluation isn't wrong, maybe the utilization is wrong. I mean, that's maybe, what yeah, yeah, one of the, Rosarena. Yeah. They knew he was going to hit. They liked him as a hitter, um, but they felt like, I mean, they didn't give him playing time and they played other guys ahead of him and had a chance they felt to get um, Libertor. I mean, it, it, it is a fascinating thing that like Adolis Garcia goes and hits 20 home runs, um, mm-hmm. has 20 home runs already at the halfway point. And it's like that guy couldn't crack the Cardinals lineup, but then he also was passed through waivers for every other team. Um, right. You know, the Rangers moved him off the, their roster in February. So what, where's the, it's just a very fascinating time, but the, but the crux of it really seems to be that they, uh, they're very aware that they did not give the opportunity to the right guys. And they've really then it seems like overcorrected this year by, um, you know, and it's worked for Tyler O'Neill, right? Like Tyler O'Neill's had a strong year and they committed playing time to him. Um, but some of the other guys who they hoped, you know, Hey, we'll give you the opportunity that some of these other guys did not get. It has not worked out. And, you know, now they've gone to bring up Lars Nukbar, um, a rookie out of AAA who had really hit his way into um, a promotion onto the 40-man earlier than he had to. And now they're kind of relying on him to to bring some kind of spark from the left side um, and give him the opportunity. Um, so they became a little bit uh, roster move shy, to be honest, um, about, about having this happen too often and seeing guys perform elsewhere with opportunity or whatever it was circumstance that they didn't give. And they're very aware of that. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, do you think like Garcia um, stands out as one of the, one of the more um, standout stories of the first half as most teams will in the near future hit the true midpoint of their season? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Garcia is one of the, the, the surprise guys, um, mm-hmm. but being on the Rangers, kind of a, a, a team that's, you know, not really going anywhere. Um, right. you know, that, that kind of mutes, uh, you know, how much attention he, he, he's getting, um, you know, curious to see how, how Wanda Franco works mm-hmm. out there with the Rays. I mean, the Rays are always interesting, um, no matter what, um, even when they're losing in Seattle, they're, you know, a little losing in dramatic fashion, um, walk-offs, home runs, <laughs> grand slam by Shed Long and whatnot. So, you know, and now they bring up Wanda Franco. So, so they're, they're always very interesting to watch. I'll be interested to see if the Red Sox, um, you know, come back to earth if they hold this uh, first place just about at the halfway point. Um, it looks like Garrett Richards is having a big problem without the, you know, in the, in the spin, in the sticky, the non-sticky world. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, so I think there's other, there's other stories that are a little more compelling, but yeah, I mean, I think it's something that you keep an eye on, um, but it's hard, you know, when the Rangers are 20 games under 500, right. they're not going to make much of a dent nationally. What what was the standout story? You you touched on a few of them, but what what stood out for you from the first half? I mean, um, it's from a news angle, it's it's full houses, um, and the crowds coming back. But from a baseball standpoint, what stood out to you in the first half? Well, I think the biggest surprise is certainly the Giants. I mean, you know, the Dodgers and Padres are having their uh, having their fun when they're playing each other, and 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 when they're not, their Dodgers and Padres are as advertised. They're they're great. 
theater, um, but nobody saw the Giants being 48 and 26 at this point. Um, the pitching successes that they've gotten from Gossman and Disclafani and you know some others. I mean, they've been they've been great. Um, Alex Wood early. Um, and they look like they have staying power because everybody's going to beat up on Arizona and everybody's going to beat up on Colorado for the most part mm-hmm. um, as the year goes on. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, the, the resurgence by Crawford and Posey and Belt, um, our buddy Scott Miller did a good job chronicling that for the Times um, the other day. Um, so I think the Giants have been a great story. Um, certainly the White Sox, not a surprising story, but um, seeing them, you know, really – uh, you know, we continue that revival um, mm-hmm. down there under Tony La Russa. Um, that's cool. And, um, you know, and here we see the Astros just, just going crazy. So, um, you know, and on a steam baseball. So there's always, you know, there's always uh, good stories like that. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, yeah. has been great. I mean, I think, he, you know, the Blue Jays are just a little over 500, and, and I'm not sure it's quite their time yet, but they're a very exciting team to watch. Um, and it's weird that they're you know, still not back in Canada. Um, <laughs> and don't have George Springer much. You know, yeah, and George Springer, right, they have done it without him. So, yeah, there's always a lot to uh, – there's never any shortage of storylines and never any shortage of fun to to watch, uh, you know, when you got so many games to pay attention to. So that brings me to my last question. What do you look for in the second half? Is it is it what the if, – if this sticky stuff actually manifests in getting offense unstuck? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it, you know, getting offense unstuck because, you know, again, you sort of look for things you've never seen before. And, and you know, when, when you see um, such uh, dominance by pitchers, yeah. um, you wonder if it's going to last or if it's going to, um, as you say, get unstuck. So I think that's definitely the number one thing, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll look at. You might not notice it on a per-game basis, but um, it's kind of one of those things when you add up all the totals and you look at the, the game as a whole. Um, and you'll see where it is. Um, I, the DeGrom, you know, continuing the DeGrom show, um, yeah. and, and the Shoei Otani, um, show out in Anaheim. I mean, that is, that's something nobody alive has really seen. And the fact that he's actually succeeding doing both, this is something we haven't seen. It's something we've been waiting for for four years. Um, yeah. it's really, really hard to do what he did to stay healthy, do what he's doing and stay healthy. Cause he had three years where he wasn't able to stay healthy. Now he's healthy and now he's doing it. You know, kudos to the angels. They stuck with that plan. Um, when it, the easier move would have just been to let him, you know, focus on hitting and then just say, ah, we gave it three years. Um, so that's really exciting. When Mike Trout comes back, if the angels can, can make a move, that's something I'll be looking for. I don't know if they can. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of teams out there. But uh, with Otani and Trout, you, you've at least got to, you know, pay attention to uh, to the Angels to some degree. So, yeah, I mean, those are some those are some things you'll be looking for for sure um, as we go to the second half. And then who makes who makes the uh, <coughs> who makes the moves? Who makes the difference making moves? Um, right. right. So that's a big deal too. And then um, just try to just try to enjoy baseball before the labor wars, uh, you know, take over mm-hmm. in the offseason. Are will you be at Coors Field? I will. Yep. I'll be there for the All Star game. You are you? Yeah, yeah. I will be there. I will. I will be there. I'll be there for the All Star game. One of my favorite events. But I think the probably the event that everybody will be most focused on is the day before the Home Run Derby with Otani in it. I think that is probably going to be the most captivating event, right? Of the of yeah. the week. 
yeah, Otani and Pete Alonso defending his crown. And I don't know if Tatis will do it, um, but, uh, you know, he'll certainly be there and, and, and flat and everything. So there's a, there's a lot of great stars. Um, unfortunately, they'll all be wearing these ugly new um, <laughs> uniforms, these ugly yeah. new uh, – I can't believe they're doing that in the game, man. One of the best things about the All-Star game is seeing all the uniforms on the field. Now they're going to have know. These, these disgusting uh, MLB – you know, generic looking uniform thing, but yeah. hopefully the talent will overtake uh, how dreadful those unis are. Yeah, or maybe they'll just, you know, they'll go the way of the area code hats and vanish before they even appear. Yes, you we know. must complain. We must complain with all of our all of our mites. I'm, I have to summon my the, the, my inner Philadelphian and just complain because <laughs> um, I love my hometown, but there's one thing Philadelphians do better than anybody else, and that's complain and, and uh, raise a raise a stir about stuff. So um, gotta, uh, gotta, I got to complain real hard about these. This is a big question, but maybe there's a quick answer to it. Do you have some concern about the game we both adore? Do, do you have some, some, some level of trepidation uh, that, you know, that the, that the pendulum has swung so far and toward pitching um so few balls in play, so much of the style of game, um, so data-driven and risk-averse, and so much on the precipice of labor stoppage. Do, do you and and capable of putting out jerseys like that? Do you do you have some concern for the game? Oh, I sh- I, I definitely do. Um, I mean, I realized long ago that I'm a I'm an addict, so I'm probably always going to love it. Um, you know, I loved it before interleague play, and and I like interleague play too. You know, I I I loved it when they all play. You know, half the teams played in these antiseptic, uh, multi-purpose astroturf stadiums, and and I love it when they play in these beautiful uh, baseball-only ballparks. I mean, I love it no matter what. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think it 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 certainly could be better, um, and I think there's a lot of just unforced, unnecessary errors that it makes. Um, which that, that bugs me. I mean, certain, you know, evolution of the game is, is interesting. And, um, you know, the way the game on the field, uh, evolves is interesting. And I, and I do hope, um, again, I wish the, for the pitcher's sake, they had, you know, something to sort of wean them off this, but, um, I do hope it evens out a little bit. Um, you know, it, it strikeouts are, you know, they're not the worst thing to watch on TV if, if you're seeing the nasty pitches, but um, in the stadium, it, it, it's it's not a lot of fun. And, and um, you know, I just, I, I want, I'd love to see more of the nuance brought back uh, somehow. Um, bunting and 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 uh, stealing bases, especially, and stuff like that. Um, that was the game we grew up with. And, uh, you know, um, I, I, and so I'm wired to like that kind of game. I still love it, though. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, baseball is unwatchable or it's terrible. I think it's great still, but um, I think it could be better. And um, and I think certainly that the, the players are good enough, the athletes are good enough um, uh, that we see out there. It's just the style of game that, that's being promoted and, and um, is is not the one that I think is optimal for entertainment. That's national baseball writer, national baseball columnist for the New York Times, Tyler Kepner, an author of K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. It's in paperback now. Um, it's exceptional. It's one of the best baseball books of the last few years. Um, plus, it has the bonus of a dozen or so Easter eggs galore 
hidden in the baseball cards on the cover. So you can look through those for all the little hints and uh, um, indications of what's ahead in the book, but also of uh, Tyler's favorite cards, right? And and ones you thought best represented uh, the pictures involved in the story, which is great. Um, and that's available wherever you get your bookstores, including independent bookstores. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. Get organized with Closets by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you every week by Closets by Design of St. Louis. BPIB can be found anywhere you get your podcast, including iTunes, where you can subscribe to the podcast. Subscriptions make the sponsorships possible and sponsorships make the podcast possible. You can also rate and review the podcast. You can also find the best podcast in baseball at stltoday.com where there's always the constant Cardinal coverage from chats and game blogs and news updates and every sort of content galore that you could possibly want about the Cardinals. Um, we have attempted to write livelier than the results on the field are. How about that? Is that that's a fair promo, right? Yeah, I like that. Tyler, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for uh, joining me, as always. And I am uh, thrilled to know that uh, we'll share a press box and and maybe even share an interview that we can do in person um, there at the All Star Game. I get to get to show you around my my uh, my boyhood home a little bit. That's right. Yeah. Let's. Uh... Let's hope we can actually get to talk to the players again. That'd be uh, that'd be pretty cool. And and get an actual lunch. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll I could pack you in a car and go take you to where I grew up and say, here's where I was when I watched this week in baseball, and they were telling me about this Philly kid who covered baseball. I can <laughs> I can show you so you can get a sense of how far away my that house was from Major League Baseball at the time. I can really give you an illustration. <laughs> nice. Well, I always feel a little bit of kinship to the Rockies because I I, I I made the. Uh, drive up with my friends to go see the first game in Rockies history at, 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 uh, at Shea Stadium on opening day, senior year of high school. So, um, yep. I, I watched I, it from health class. That. Yep. And then I went to uh, the very first home game, one of the 80,000 2027. So that'll be good. Nice. That'll be good. I, I'll have to find a way to maybe sneak away. I can take you to a favorite place or something like that for lunch. That'll be good. So All right. thanks again, Tyler. Looking forward to it. And uh, have a great second half and, and keep your fingers clean because uh, keyboards can't be sticky. <laughs> All right, man. Great talking to you.